What's up, guys? It's me, Heather, back with another episode of Strike Boat, my novel, which I am podcasting as a free audiobook. Um, yeah, so today is February 8th, 2022. It is a great time to be alive. We are seeing some real love and camaraderie and unity rising up from the grassroots of the Canadian people, and it is quite a thing to witness, and it makes me proud. Uh, riding, rising up in in the name of freedom, um, and just again, my novel here, Strike Boat, a novel about freedom, set in the same uh, geographical area where these protests are taking place, and uh, set in the same context. So, uh, a lot of similarities. I'm not sure what uh, purpose um, this is all going to serve, but I'm going with it, and I'm going to keep recording it and keep making it available for free. So anybody who is listening along with this, um, thank you. I appreciate it. Um, And with that, um, let's get started on today's reading. Chapter 9, sorry, Chapter 19, Revolution. And I have to wonder, is that what we're witnessing here in Canada? Anyway, Revolution. They went to sit in the place that was normally reserved for the governing council, and somehow that felt appropriate. They were the new decision makers, starting fresh, with no baggage behind them, no bureaucrats to guide them, no staff reports presenting a biased perspective to weigh in on. There was no pressure to maintain the destructive momentum from the past because that way of life had brought them to this catastrophic situation in the first place. They had a blank slate for some blue sky thinking about how to re-envision the world with intentions of benevolence. It didn't take them long to reach consensus. The foundational principles would be peace, equality, integrity, the sanctity of every human soul, and harmony with the earth and with nature. That and the promise they would never harm each other or the earth like this again, not for money nor for avarice, The earth would be their partner in this new endeavor. They would consider her their friend and start to forge a new relationship with her and with each other. War would be unconscionable. The taking of a single human life abhorrent. Integrity and compassion would be the framework for all decisions. With that established, they decided they would take it day by day and deal with whatever the future brought forward. Well, that didn't take long, Jenna said, smiling around at them. We've reached consensus. Jamie Sinclair had made a point of choosing the wingback chair next to the one that Jenna sat in. Look, there's something else I think you need to know, she said. She looked around the table at them. Morty and I, that is, my cameraman, earlier we were waiting for a network helicopter to come pick us up. Another chopper came to pick up Lawrence Fallon. Jenna was nodding. That would probably be the one that shot at us, she said, tossing her head in the direction of the ruined window. It's flag. They came and got Doucette, and then they shot at us, and when they left, they flew towards the plant. Jamie bit her lip. It was flag, all right. I saw the gold insignia of the upthrust fist glinting in the sunlight as the helicopter turned away from the scene of the destruction they had caused at Wyerton. I will never forget that moment. Never. But the thing I was going to tell you is, Fallon's dead. 
We were in the news chopper. We followed them on a hunch. They flew up 81 towards Grand Bend, went out over the lake, and pushed something out into the water. Then they hauled ass out of there, and so we got down low to see if we could find whatever it was they dropped. She stopped for a moment, shut her eyes tight, remembering, and then she opened them back up and looked at Jenna. It was a body. It was Fallon's. Jamie went quiet. Her eyes focused on something in the distance for a moment, something only she could see. After that, we went to the landslide. It was horrible. The ground was shaking so, so violently. The trees were swaying, and from above, where we were, suddenly you could see it all go rushing out into the water. It was like the ground just peeled away, sloughed off, slid down, and took all of those homes and trees and cars and people along with it. Anderson spoke from across the circle. Look, I know that this is hard, and what you saw was horrible, but I need to know. Did the landslide expose anything under the surface of the ground? Jamie stared at him. It did, she said. After we radioed in the landslide, we flew along the slide line taking footage, and then Morty and I saw something that caught our eye. It was a row of buildings, corrugated metal, tall, square structures dotting along the edge of the slide, evenly spaced, you know, except for part enough far enough apart that they probably wouldn't be noticeable from on the ground. Morty tells me that he thinks they correspond with his memory of the dots that represent the frack sites on the slideshow. Lodi grabbed the camera, opened it to the image of the sinkhole on King's property, and found one that showed the narrow building. Did they look like this? He held the camera toward Jamie. They did, and we could see them, bore shafts descending down into the subsurface all the way down to the water line. Anderson was nodding. There was a row of sites along that shoreline. It's in the gray zone. I told them not to frack there, but they wouldn't listen. Good eye for spotting that, he said to Jamie Sinclair. She smiled. Thanks. Look, my point is, we've got footage. We've got footage of those structures. We've got footage of the landslide with us, she told Jenna looking significantly at her. We've got footage of Fallon's body floating in Lake Huron. We've got footage of one of the old drill sites, close-up footage. And while we were hovering around it filming, we even got footage of the man who owned the place coming out to point a gun at us. If we really wanted to, she broke off, looking over at Ricky Jarvis and flashing him a challenge. We could really do this right. Put a speech together, a rebuttal of what Wall just said. Run the footage in the background. It's extra proof of what's gone on. Let's put this thing together and tell the public. Let them know that Flag caused this in the name of greed. We have the evidence that proves the system doesn't work, that we can't let corporations run things. We can't just continue to let this much power be concentrated in the hands of so few because the outcome of that kind of system is inevitable. If they keep continuing on with it, this kind of thing will happen every time. The video equipment's here. Morty can upload the proper sequences of footage to the newsroom to make it flow with what you're saying. He does it all the time. Him and I, of course, will stay neutral, making it seem like we're just staying on to cover the story. Making it seem like? Ricky asked her. Really? And what will the real truth be? 
I wonder. Jamie stared at her, her eyes flashing. Look, this has been a hell of a day for all of us. When I started out this morning, I was excited. I had an interview with a prominent figure. That was a big step up for me, career-wise. But as this day unfolded, I watched that man get shot. I watched a tragic landslide that came with massive loss of life. But I also watched the workers from the plant join up, team up, and work together to move what might as well have been a mountain to get the traffic flowing around that sinkhole and open up the way to get to safety. I saw human beings put themselves at risk to jump into that water to try to save people. So in answer to your question, I don't know how I feel about any of this. What I do know is, in times like this, once the initial hype of stuff like this is over, the news media will pick and choose how much to cover in the aftermath. The story will get spun to whatever narrative the powers that be want told. But that day isn't here yet. We're still in this day, right here, right now. We're in this moment, and the story of this day is not over. For whatever reason, I am here with Morty, and we're set up to tell it. So if you're asking me where my loyalties lie, she paused, jerked her thumb sideways in Jenna's direction. I'm staying here when this is done, with her and with you. But first, I have a job to do. I went to journalism school because I wanted to tell the story to the public, and I'm going to do it. And that means I'm going to do it professionally. Morty and I, we've got the skills and the equipment, and we've got the footage. We can splice it in while Jenna speaks. We have one shot, one window, now, while this is happening in real time, before the spin gets put on things. We've got one chance to tell the truth. We've got to take it. Jenna turned it over. What the reporter was envisioning had some merit. I agree, she said. We're in the perfect position to take a stand, given the fact that the Prime Minister is ordering the evacuation of the land we stand upon and trying to use this to enforce some crazy injections and financial servitude. The police and military will be tied up with the evacuation. Hopefully they won't bother coming here. Lodi cleared his throat. They were ordered to stay away from here, remember? I own the cops, he said. That makes this the safest place on earth to be. For what it's worth, I think it's a solid plan. This thing is in a state of flux right now. Nobody seems to know the extent of the damage that's been done, or if they do, how soon or how disastrous it's about to get. If what Anderson here thinks is true about this cobalt mine and forced work camp, we've got one window to warn people not to take those injections. If I was them, I'd fight. You wouldn't be putting nothing in my body against my will. I'd rather die than blindly accept that kind of control. It's a symbolic rape. The debt forgiveness thing is sketchy too. I agree with Anderson. There's got to be some kind of negative trade-off on that. Nobody's going to take on all your debt for free, not without some kind of consequence. We put the speech together, say we're staying, get the message out, and then we go dark, turn off the cameras, organize a supply mission for afterwards. Anderson spoke up. There's a ridge just west of here. I saw it from the helicopter that dropped us off. It's part of the old high water line. You know that ridge that runs along the Niagara Escarpment coming into Toronto on the 401? 
That's the level where the lake water used to come up to. At one time, all of this was underwater, except those ridges. If they were dry land back then, they may just make it through the flood. That ridge out there, that's where we should plan on heading. Lodi looked at Jenna. She shrugged, then nodded. It's about as good a plan as any. Jamie jumped up out of the chair she had been sitting on and offered it to Anderson. You sit here, help Jenna with the speech. I'll call you on my cell phone so we can be in touch. I'm going to go down to the news van, work with Morty, make sure he has the footage, the order of the things you'll be speaking in. She looked at Ricky. We need to take the footage off your smartphone too. Want to join me? You bet. He jumped out of his chair as well and went to follow her. Jamie had her cell phone open on a call with Anderson as she walked outside with Ricky to head towards the news van. There was still a fairly decent crowd they saw, enough that it took them a few moments to work their way back to the van where Morty was sitting chatting with Jay Marksman. They had the equipment all lined up and ready to go. Jamie walked them through the plan. Morty started to prepare. He began to piece the footage together lining it up in the order that Jenna wanted it, with Jamie on the phone, checking in with Anderson and Jenna, and collaborating on the speech in the council chambers. The order would go something like this. Fallon at the municipal building, showing up to rearm the fox, then the window blowing inwards as he shot into the council chamber. Fallon at the auto plant, wincing at the mention of Preston's murder, and his body floating in Lake Huron, the line of smoke plumes with the nuclear plant situated on the lakeward side. The footage of the flag helicopter heading towards the crevasse at Wyerton in the distance, the logo clearly visible, then changing course to skirt away. The landslide damage, the chaos of the aftermath, the rescue missions. Make sure we get that shot of the lady OPP officer diving into the water to save people, Jamie said. After that would be the row of fracking sites that lined the edge of Georgian Bay and the man who had come out of his house and brandished a rifle at them, followed by clips of the Prime Minister's address where he talked about the forced injections and debt forgiveness. As they were preparing the video clips in sequence, Jamie remembered that Morty had a wife and a teenage daughter and she laid a hand on his arm. When he looked up, she had a soft expression in her eyes. Where are Paula and Chloe? She asked. I'm so sorry. I never even asked you. Do you want to go home? He smiled and went back to what he'd been doing. Nah, they're on their way. I had Paula pack some stuff and gas up our Winnebago. They were going to stop here and pick me up. But now that you're all staying, I guess we will as well. I don't really like the odds of driving to the States. I mean, the ground, it's just Swiss cheese. From above, when you and I were in the chopper, I could see that it's going down, and I don't want to be sitting in a traffic jam outside of Sarnia when it falls. Looks to me like Sarnia is going to take a swim when it goes down, and everyone on the highway is going with it. Jamie was nodding, a frown lining her forehead. I hope that people get out of there, to freedom, in time. She looked up from the monitor and surveyed the topography around them. The ridge that Anderson had mentioned was a mile or two away. It wasn't huge, just a shelf of earth that stuck up higher than the rooftops of the houses leading up to it. 
but she nodded in that direction and pointed the ridge out to Morty. Think your Winnebago's up for some off-roading? She asked him, and he turned to look, shading his eyes with the flat of his fingers. Could be, at a slow enough speed, provided the way was pretty smooth. When Paula gets here, I think you guys should climb that hill, set up camp up there. Morty nodded one more time, then went back to programming the digital footage, queuing it up to be ready to upload to the network. Prime Minister Walls sat in his office with his eyes closed and his head resting back on the headrest of his chair. He had his hands clasped behind his head and his feet straight out in front of him on the corner of the desk. He'd just received his latest briefing, which showed that he was indeed fucked. His geologist equipment had been brought back online. They now had alarming evidence that the base rock beneath the evacuation area was compromised even more than they had thought. The data showed a sonar-generated scan of the underlying rock beneath southwestern Ontario. It was riddled like a hunk of Swiss cheese, cracked and damaged and brittle as soft coral. Even to his unscientifically trained eye, it was clear that the supporting rock was going to give, and when it went, the waves would cover everything. Then there was the Bruce. His experts told him that what was left of it had shifted sliding outwards on a wafer of shale away from the mainland. A body in motion, Wall was thinking, as he reclined prostrate in his armchair. A body in motion stays in motion, and there was little doubt as to where the Bruce Peninsula would end up. It's going in the drink, he said out loud, picking up the briefing papers from his desk and rifling through them for the hundredth time before setting them down. The truth was, they were useless to him. He had no idea what any of it meant. That was the bitch of it. Here he was, supposed to be calling the shots, but all he did when it came right down to it was repeat out loud whatever it was that was written on the papers that were put in front of him. His understanding of this situation was that it was a matter of gravitational forces overcoming friction, or so his experts had dumbed it down for him. Eventually, the weight would overcome the resistance of coarse rock grinding over coarse rock, and it would slide the rest of the way into the bay. Sometime today, or possibly tomorrow, the Bruce would fall. And when it went, so would the subsidence. He knew this in his gut, had known it since the aides had first approached him with their scientific pictures of the empty aquifers. It was nothing more than intuition but he somehow felt it in his bones that when the enormous weight of rock that was the Bruce slid out and landed with a thud on the lake bed, that would be the force that caused the subsidence. And also, heaven only knew what level of disaster that would create at the nuclear plant. He knew that it would be a bad one. He knew this because his own brief and illustrious career as prime minister could only end now in a manner that was cataclysmic, and being as that scenario was about the most disastrous thing imaginable, Prime Minister Thurston Wall felt in his bones that it would occur. I've got to get the people out, he said out loud, scrubbing a hand over his eyes and then down over his nose and mouth. He hated Cochrane's conditions. Part of him knew that they were wrong, unholy, but he had no choice. Cochrane had him by the balls, that was the thing. He was just a puppet, always had been. He saw that now. 
The whole thing was just a nightmare, and Wall knew that a lot of the blame lay at his door. It had been Wall who had looked the other way when Cochrane came to him about the drill sites, and it was Wall who would look away now while Cochrane injected God knew what into Canadian citizens. Looking back, Wall let out a bitter grunt of humour because he saw that it had been Cochrane that had held the power all along. Wall had been his minion. Despite his big position, he'd been nothing but a puppet, mouthing words that Cochrane put into his mouth. When Wall had spoken at Parliament or on television screen, it, it was Cochrane's voice Canadians heard. Wall sighed. He'd been told about the likely outcome of this damage. There would be more landslides. An image entered his mind of the Toronto Harbour sliding into the lake, the way the landmass of the Bruce had slid into Georgian Bay that afternoon. He saw investment buildings crumpling, but when an image of the CN Tower tried to fill his mind, he pushed the thought away. He stood up and walked to the window and looked out over Parliament Hill, where a crowd of protesters were gathering. Squinting, he was able to make out a sign that many of them seemed to be carrying. Tell us the fracking truth, it said, and he uttered a short bray of laughter. You probably know more than me, pal, he muttered, but then he'd had the answers all along. He, of all people, had known the truth about this one. It couldn't be laid at anyone else's feet because he had been the one to get in bed with Cochrane in the first place. It had seemed like such a safe thing back then. He'd been an earnest young MP making his way up in the political world when Cochrane had approached him. He could hand him the prime ministership on a silver platter, he said, and Wall had been so giddy with the possibility of it actually happening that he'd agreed to whatever terms the man was offering. In this case, striking down a series of checks and balances that would eventually turn up information that what was going on was not above board, and Wall had complied readily enough. After all, he'd reasoned, a man like Cochrane watches his fees and cues. He would no more want to get busted with what he was doing than Wall himself would want to see him caught not with all the money he'd had tied up in the process. And it had seemed to be working, famously well, in fact, as Wall's bank account indicated. Employment was up. The markets were up. His term as prime minister had been successful by all accounts. Wall had gotten comfortable at the top, and Cochrane's growing congeniality over the years since his election had fostered in Wall a feeling of camaraderie if not affection for the man. Cochrane was a man that got things done, a man you could trust to hold up his end of the bargain, if not a particularly likable man. But now that shit had hit the fan, and Wall had been left to hold the bag. That, and get millions of bodies off a chunk of land the size of Newfoundland, he muttered, slumping back down in his chair. He pressed a button on his phone, and the voice of Chip, his aide, came on the line immediately. Sir? Chip, how are we doing? Are we making decent progress on the evac? Um, well, I was about to notify you, sir. We're making pretty good progress at the borders. USA is cooperating nicely, and the cars are moving pretty quickly. Transit system is running smoothly. 
getting civilians out of urban areas. And the Bruce? The Bruce is good. We're 85% complete with that one, and people are cooperating fully. But there is a piece of news I haven't told you, something that I've just been sent from the CBC. It seems we're getting notice that, well, that some of them are staying, sir, Chip finished quietly. Wall bristled. Staying? What do you mean they're staying? That land's unsafe. Hell, it could all be underwater by tonight. Why would they stay? It seems they don't support the injection, sir, and some of them have questions about the debt forgiveness. We're seeing it on the signs of those people gathering outside. The people who say they're staying are seemingly being led by this Jenna Walters woman. She's about to give a press conference. The protesters will see that too. They have it on their smartphones. In the corner of Wall's office, a recessed panel slid back, revealing a TV screen that was just coming to life. The outer door to the office snicked open. Chip walked in, holding the sleek remote control. He turned the television on in the office and tuned it to the CBC, which depicted a shot of the Mount Bridges Municipal Building, where some kind of crowd had gathered. Wall hung his head, resigned. He'd heard of her. The one that ran the slideshow. What was the hashtag? Get off the Bruce. Chip was nodding. You guessed it. Christ, Chip, maybe you'd better stay and watch this with me. Certainly, sir. Wall spun his chair around to face the television as Chip settled daintily on the edge of the desk. He had a pen and clipboard in his hands. It's about to start, Chip said in a stained whisper, causing Wall to roll his eyes. I'm surrounded by buffoons, he thought. How did I never notice that before? Jamie Sinclair's face filled the screen. We're here in Mount Bridges where a large crowd has gathered to hear what Mayor Jenna Walters has to say. We're told she's got some pretty heavy allegations for the Prime Minister, who just a few moments ago ordered the evacuation of this entire region. Here comes Mayor Walters now. The doors to the building opened and Jenna came out. Lodi was right behind her, keeping a watchful eye on the crowd. And in his office, Wall had time to wonder, briefly, who he was. Jenna stepped to the microphone and started speaking, and what she said eliminated every other thought from Prime Minister Wall's mind. Standing on the wooden plant box once again, Jenna took a deep breath and looked out over a very diminished but still quite sizable crowd. A lot of people must have heeded Wall's evacuation order, she realized, and maybe that was good. A smaller sea of faces still looked up at her, expectantly, and a little tremor shivered through her. She'd come to stand them, she'd come to stand before them, through the cork of the email address, and now she was about to go on national television and announce that she, a democratically elected municipal government official, would disobey Prime Minister Wall, and any other time, in any other circumstance, there would be hell to pay for this. It was professional suicide in a culture where speaking one's own truth could get you canceled, deplatformed, and worse. But suddenly she found she didn't care about that anymore. Hell, she had already been deplatformed on YouTube, but here she was, on camera anyway. That's how they control things, she mused, in the spaces behind the shadows where good people keep silent out of fear 
That was how the objectives that lacked integrity won. But she was going to shine a light. Morty, with his camera steady, gave her a small wink from just in front of her. Possibly some of the people here would stay behind when they heard what she had to say. Probably some of the people watching at home would as well. Their lives hung on her words, she thought. Her eyes hardened. She wasn't sure that she was the right person for any of this, but she was sure as hell going to give it a shot. She had taken this office with a vow to uphold her integrity, and she wasn't about to turn back on that now. Ladies and gentlemen, she began, I stand before you now and ask you to make a very difficult choice. The choice is freedom or totalitarian enslavement, for that's what these forced injections are and this financial servitude. I offer you my perspective, as flawed as it may be. She broke off speaking, looked down at her handwriting on the page. The scripted words prepared upstairs now seemed inadequate. Jenna chewed her lip, eyes cloudy. Do it from the heart. She felt the words inside her more so than she heard them, but she nodded. Taking a deep breath, she folded, closed her notes, and looked out over the crowd. I choose freedom. She paused to let that sink in, and the crowd went wild. A chorus of whistling, cheering, and jubilation sounded that she hadn't been expecting. She was taken aback somewhat, listening to it, knowing that the network's viewers were seeing excerpts from the slideshow that described the small-scale fracking process. They were seeing footage of the frack bore glinting silver as it descended down the brand new broken cliff face, damning evidence if ever there was, but something about the human spirit as represented by the people here in front of her resounded to the cry for freedom, and it was undeniable. Bolstered, she continued. My friends, we have been tricked. We've been the victims of a system that concentrates power in the hands of a few very rich individuals who put financial profit for themselves above the things that you and I believe in. Things like our need for clean air and fresh water and to have the ground beneath our feet protected from those who'd work to rend that land asunder. Southwestern Ontario, that's beautiful, cool, freshwater resources, and rich soils is arguably one of the most blessed places on earth to live in terms of human survival, and our Indigenous peoples knew that. Having lived here since time immemorial, they held the natural environment sacred, and it is. They have a spiritual connection to the land. The earth is viewed as part of them, an ally and a friend. But even if you remove that side of it, just having a temperate climate, fertile soils, and readily accessible drinking water makes this land a valuable place. Anyone living in a desert can tell you that. But you can't remove the spiritual aspect, not really. This planet supports us, feeds us, breathes for us, provides the oxygen and water that we need, the very ground we need as humans to live our human lives. The soul of this land is bound with ours, entwined with ours. And today, we found out that a corporation called Flag has destroyed it. 
plundering its resources for their own gain. The reason they could do this is because we live in a society based on money. The capitalist system fosters greed, and only the ugliness of greed could make a group of people perforate the rock foundations of a place like this in order to extract every last drop of natural gas the ground contains, while another group of people look the other way. Lust for money is behind this damage, just like it's behind so many of the tragedies that plague our earth today, and as a result, the earth is wounded. This isn't happening in some faraway place. This is happening in southwestern Ontario, in Canada, the land of the free, and I, for one, have reached my breaking point. The newsfeed footage playing in the background switched to take in the sweep of landslide damage along Georgian Bay and the bodies floating lifeless in the gentle waves, followed by the shot of Fallon's body. Jenna paused to look down for a moment, fighting tears. She couldn't cry. Not now. There was too much at stake. She raised her head. I'm not sure there's ever been a moment quite like this in history before. A moment where a specific corporation's actions in pursuit of profit have resulted in this devastating tragedy, this loss of life and land, and where the people know about it. We have their actions documented by one of their own experts in the slideshow. And when I posted that information on the internet, they came to shoot at us to try to make us take it down. They tried, to hide, they tried to hide the truth of what they've done from you, the people. Jenna paused again. She gestured behind her at the wall of the building where the pop marks of the bullet holes peppered the brickwork around the blown out window. The footage of the council chamber windows shattering inwards played on television screens across the country. Footage showing Jenna's blood. She held up her hair to reveal the bandage. Flag did this thing, and they did it in the name of money. And instead of doing the decent thing and opening and owning up to be accountable for what they've done, they're doubling down. They're trying to go from ordinary, ugly capitalism to abject tyranny, totalitarianism. That is the next phase. That is what's at stake with these injections and this debt scheme. So now we've got to make a choice. She took a breath. I stand before you now and offer the suggestion that the great crushing engine of planetary destruction known as the capitalist system needs to meet its end. It's time for a new chapter. It's actually not that hard. I just sat in a circle upstairs with a group of like-minded people and we envisioned how it could be with a system of local governance based on an ethics of care and it didn't even take that long. Why are we doing this? Why are we so entrenched in the idea that the capitalist way is the only way? That we have to labor for ridiculous bosses playing out their own narcissistic tendencies by bullying workers who do the actual physical labor of creating the products that make the money to pay their salaries? Does anyone really think that this is what humans were put on this planet for? It's time for an ideological shift to birth a new system of doing things in which money isn't the only thing that matters. Kindness is. Caring for the earth. 
nourishing ourselves and each other, harming no one, respect for the sanctity of human life and for the sacred gift that is this planet and the life within it. With that in mind, some friends and I have decided that we're staying. We do not consent any longer to the ideologicals of ideologies of selfishness and greed as the only way. We reject that system and we are willing to take our chances, even if we lose our lives, because you can't eliminate risk. A very wise young man said something recently to me that I would like to share with you. He said, I'd rather die free of my own stupidity than exist in a world of totalitarian capitalist control. Jenna looked over at Carrie. He winked at her and flashed her the peace sign. She smiled. Myself, I don't think choosing freedom is stupid. I think it's brave. My friends and I, we're going to stay behind and learn a lesson from our indigenous. We're going to rebuild that spiritual connection with the earth, with what's left of it, and oversee the next chapter of this area. If we leave, if all the people leave, who knows what will become of it? Our government can't be trusted to do the right thing anymore. Watching in his office, Prime Minister Wall winced. He had a sinking feeling in his stomach, the result of knowing that she had him pegged. But Jenna's next words stopped him cold. He looked up at the TV screen and found that she was looking directly into the camera. It felt like she was looking right into his soul. Prime Minister Wall, hear me. We refuse to leave. We're staying as free citizens of Earth. The capital structure that you support depletes our planet's resources in the fastest fashion possible, and we reject it. We reject your forced injections. We reject financial servitude. Southwestern Ontario is not the only place some corporation is pillaging for personal gain. If it's happening here, it's happening everywhere. We reject your ownership of our destiny. You aren't going to kick us off the land we love. We're going to stay to start a new life, one where helping each other is the new priority, not money. We're going to live the way we want to live, as equals, caring for the earth, taking only what we need in order to survive. She paused, looking hard into the camera. We're going on strike, on strike from capitalism. In his office, Wall felt the power of her words drill into him. They resonated on some deep and primal level. He rocked backward in his chair. Jenna continued, it won't be easy, but if we help each other and we do things right, we might just be a part of something great. She broke off as a rumble in the back began to gain momentum. Someone in a white shirt was pushing through towards her, a swath of angry faces in his wake. Jenna heard Ricky Jarvis groan from somewhere to her left. Ah, geez, it's Brentman. Great, he said. Brentman barged up to the front of the crowd. Have you completely lost your mind? He shouted at Jenna, his face darkening from red to purple. You can't just say a thing like that. You can't just say that industry is to blame. You're nuts, you are. You can't tell these people they can stay behind when the prime minister has ordered them off this land. You can't just say you're going to live without money 
You won't survive without it. It's insane to... What's insane? Jenna broke in coldly, honing her concentration into a beam and aiming it straight at Brentman. Is pulling off a scam like hydraulic fracturing illegally and setting up an entire line of vehicles that run on the illicit gas you're harvesting in pursuit of profit for the few that comes at the expense of all of our homes. She yelled this last, a head of righteous indignation building from her day's events to erupt with sudden fury on this man who'd made his livelihood from the ill-gotten gains of criminal activity. The crowd erupted into wild applause and raucous cheering. She was breathing hard, but she maintained her composure while she waited for the crowd to quiet. When she spoke again, her voice was ice. What's insane is putting toxins in a wetland, putting money ahead of survival, ahead of policies that protect the air we breathe and our clean water. What's insane is listening to the presentation like the one that Anderson Arthur gave this morning and then turning a blind eye to all the damage and just blithely going about your business knowing that there are people's lives at risk. What's insane is shooting the messenger, which is what Flagg did to Lloyd Preston. There's no proof of that. You can't think what happened at the plant is proof. Mr. Fallon had a lot going on at that moment. You can't base this so-called murder on his reaction alone. Brentman was breathing hard as well. He was trying to bluff, to manifest authority like he was used to doing at the plant to take the position that as management he knew what was going on more so than than did his workers when often that was not the case but a dull-eyed Andrew Summers barked a mirthless bray of laughter I was there Summers shouted elbowing people out of his way and coming to stand face to face with Brentman I saw the body Cochran gave me money to clean up Lloyd Preston's brains from off the boardroom door okay I helped them move his corpse. Look, Summers was crying openly, tears and mucus streaming down his face. He raised his fisted hands, gripping his shirt cuff so that the rust brown stains were visible, and then he swung around to show them to the people on either side of him. This is Preston's blood, okay? His voice broke and then went soft, his composure failing utterly. This is Preston's blood. She's right. They killed him. They killed him, and they made me clean it up. I'm not a bad guy. Never was. A little stupid, maybe. I've done some stupid shit in my time. Sold drugs and cheated on my girlfriends. And I'm sorry. For all of that, I'm sorry. But I've never done nothing as bad as this. So don't you tell me that they never killed Lloyd Preston, all right? They did. And I was there. As abruptly as Summers' torrent of speech had begun, it subsided. He turned towards the building, looking lost, and Mary Lee, with tears of sympathy in her own eyes, came to stand beside him. She held her arms out, and he clung to her, laying his ginger head down on her tiny shoulder and, sob- and sobbing disconsolately onto the padded navy fabric of her blazer, and she rubbed his back and held him while he got it out. After a moment, she led him away inside the building, And Jenna turned to Brentman. Still don't think they killed him? She asked quietly, and then she sighed. Look, Fallon's dead, 
They killed him too, okay? After they shot at us, Doucette and his friends took Lawrence Fallon out over the lake and dumped his body in the water. There's footage of it playing on the CBC right now. They did it because he dropped the ball on Preston and because his doing that solidified belief in the slideshow's accuracy to punish him, to shut him up, to hide their tracks. They killed him. And those are the people that you're working for, that you defend. Jenna's smile was rueful. I can't stop you from thinking what you want. Hell, I don't blame you. By the old system, you were winning. You had privileges, well-paying job, the right to order people around and make them jump to do your bidding. If that's the kind of life you want, just leave. There's lots of that out there, outside the evacuation zone. I'm sure the capitalist system will be doubling down out there, moving towards utter totalitarian control now that the race to the end of the resources is truly on. I'm sure that there will be lots of opportunities to crack crack a whip against your fellow man. Go off, start over, get a new management job somewhere else, and try again. Probably a lot of people here will join you. But for those of us that think that way of life is all a crock of shit, a deafening roar of applause broke out from the ranks behind Brentman, and from the look on his face, it was clear to him that he had lost this war. We'll stay. Unsafe or not, this land is ours, and we're not going to let your boss's greed remove us from it. We choose freedom. So, people of Mount Bridges, what do you say we put it to a vote? Who here thinks the reign of capitalism should be over and that a better way is possible? A whole lot of hands shot up. Not everyone, but most of them. The young especially, nodding and cheering, pumping their fists in the air. Out of the corner of her eye, she saw Jamie look at her cell phone and frown, which stood out because behind the camera, Morty was doing the exact same thing. Wrap it up. Time's up was the thought that came to Jenna. The rest of you had better be on your way then. If you want to stay, go home. Pack yourselves an emergency kit and head up there. That's where we're going. She pointed to the ridge and people in the crown turned to look. I wish you all the best, all of you, not just the ones that stay. Before we go, if I can, I'd like to ask a blessing on you from the universe or fate or from whomever's listening. She had that open feeling in her stomach again, and this time she strained to keep it there. Dear God, please watch over all the people on this earth, and even though we don't deserve it, help us through this time of trial so that we can start again. We'll try to do things better this time. She stopped speaking, tears welling in her eyes, and she opened them once again to look over the crowd. It hit her hard all of a sudden that she wanted to believe that someone was up there listening. She wanted more than she'd ever wanted anything in her life to believe that someone was up there that could help them. And in that moment, the error of their ways was crystal clear to her. The error of all of our ways, the false idol that we've all been worshiping, money. The tears fell from her eyes in unison. She turned a sorrowful gaze over the crowd. 
Take care of yourselves, she said brokenly, then turned to face the camera. This is Jenna Walters signing off. Shut down the feed. Going dark. Thank you all for listening. Good luck. Jenna dropped the megaphone, then turned and strode towards the building. In the well-appointed private bedchamber on his tax-sheltered private plane, having just completed an exquisite round of coitus with the magnificent Cynthia Jennings, Cochran reclined in his luxury sheets and watched Jenna's speech on TV. He had just heard Jenna call the forced injections totalitarian enslavement and discourage people from taking them, and he was seething with a self-righteous kind of dangerous rage. Who the fuck does this broad think she is, he was thinking, as Cynthia stretched and turned over in her sleep beside him. How the fuck did she know that's what those injections were? Her little live performance she was giving had the potential to severely impact his baby, Project Resolute. He needed people to take those injections before they got on the bus. It was his only way of controlling them once they got inside the compound. The place wasn't staffed with enough forces to control them by any other way. Everything hinged on the injections. Everything. They were the means of enslavement through the electronic barrier system. But there she was on national television speaking out against them. Suddenly a thought occurred to him. Summers. The genius was with her. Somehow Anderson and the genius had gotten to Jenna. Was it possible that between the two of them, they had figured out his plans for Project Resolute? This thought cast a shadow onto his already black mood. Furious, he picked up the phone and dialed Beatrice Fillmore. Call the fucking networks, he growled into the phone. Shut that story down. Shut her up. I do not want any coverage of this shit show on TV. I never want to see her face again. Agreed, Bia said. I'm already on it because of what she said about my app. Shouldn't be more than a few more minutes. She hung up. Cochran's rage was powerful. He made one other phone call, and this one was to Gilles Doucette. Find that bitch and kill her. Shoot her in her goddamn stupid face. Shut up her mouth. I won't have this. Summers too, and Anderson. Do it now. Make them suffer. Make them pay. He hung up the phone, then picked up his tumbler of scotch over ice and hurled it against the wall of the cabin where it smashed into smithereens. Fuck that bitch, he said. No one messed with Eric Cochran or his plans for Project Resolute. No one. It was his prototype, his plan for authoritarian, totalitarian control. Because he, once he implemented Resolute, it would serve as a model he could replicate all over the world. That bitch is going down, he said out loud, freezing the TV screen on a close-up shot of Jenna's face. Come on, Doucette. Earn your keep. He glared at Jenna's face for a long, long time, and then he snapped the TV off. After her speech, Lodi went with Jenna. Watching as he followed a few paces behind her, he saw her maintain composure long enough to calmly open the door of the building and cross the threshold. But as soon as she was out of the public's eye, she dropped her face into her hands and crumpled against the wall 
inside the entrance. That was how he found her, boneless, drained, exhausted, but he was there. Come here, he said. Gently, he approached her, crouched before her, pulled her to him, stood her back up, and she put her head against his chest and cried. He held her while she got it out. She let out a muffled cry of anguish and dug her nails into his skin. He felt the crescents gouge him through the fabric of his shirt and felt relief that he had something he could offer to her in that moment, even if it was just the substance of his body. She could take whatever it was she needed from him, he was thinking. When she quieted, he took her face between his hands and made her look at him. There was roughness in the gesture, enough to match the savagery of her nails against his skin, to let her know that he was real, and he was here, and he would stay with her. And then he kissed her. There was an undeniable, there was an undeniable energy between them in that moment. He plunged his hands deep into her hair, his fingertips finding the sensitive area at the top of her spine. She shuddered against him, grabbing his shirt in both hands and pulling herself closer. The spark, the current that had been magnetizing between the two of them all day rose to the surface, connecting them, closing the circuit. And as the kiss raged on, the current flowed between them, around and around and through them. That was the moment Lodi knew that he had fallen in love with her and would protect her always. The kiss broke off and she was all there, 100% alert, standing at her full height, looking back at him. She was almost as tall as he was. Their eyes were on a level plane. Looking into hers, he saw the striking shade of blue emphasized by the wet spikes of her eyelashes, the evidence her tears had left behind. And he knew inside his heart that he would die for her. He tried to think of something to say, but couldn't. She beat him to it, stepping backwards half a pace and pointing an accusing finger at him. Now is not the time for this. When then? His his forehead creased. He shot his hands up in the air. When is the time, if not right now? This could all be over by tonight. What happens if we don't survive? I'm pulled toward you, Jenna. I have been ever since the moment I walked in here, and I won't pretend I'm not, because look what's going on. We are in a battle for our freedom and for our very survival. What if something happens? I've got to leave. We need supplies. Do you think I really want to leave you, knowing Doucette could be around, knowing what he's capable of and that he wants to hurt you? But I have to go. If we are going to have a chance at pulling off the stuff you said back there, we need a boat, we need supplies, and I wanted you to know it's how I feel before I go. She looked down at the floor, not speaking. He saw her tongue dart out and flash across her lips, and then she stood there biting at the inside of her cheek. She looked up again. Come back, she said. You will, right? I don't feel safe without you. He nodded. He slid his hands over her shoulders and smoothed them down the length of her hair, capturing it into a ponytail and then releasing it. A strand had worked its way inside her collar. He used a knuckle to tug it free, and then he kissed her in the place where it had been 
She closed her eyes. He wanted to stay there, linger, explore that delicate stretch of flesh and everything beyond it. What's happening to me, he thought. But he knew he had to leave. He had work to do if they were really going to do this. He had to gather up the things that they would need, that he would need, in order to protect her. And the sooner that he left, the sooner he got back. I'll come back to you, he said. I promise. The doors flew open. The others charged into the entranceway. Carrie, Tamara, Wanda, Vic and Debbie, Ricky Jarvis, Jamie Sinclair, Morty Sampson with his family, and Anderson all milled around as Jay Markson closed the door behind them. Jenna, Deb called out, rushing up to her. Jenna, Jamie and Morty got a message from the newsroom. The story is being canceled. These guys both just lost their jobs. They sent it in a text message. Can you believe that? Somehow, somewhere, some pretty powerful people want to silence you and keep your words suppressed. Must mean they're true, Vic put in. Jenna frowned at Jamie. Did the broadcast make it out? Did any of my speech go out over the airwaves? Morty came forward. Most of it did, he said. I know that much. There's this icon that appears in the top right corner of my viewfinder when I'm filming live-to-air segments. That icon was on for most of it. The text came through from the newsroom boss right at the end of your speech. It took a moment after it came in, but the icon disappeared. I got a message saying, system override. So yeah, I'm reasonably confident that the bulk of what you said went out. Won't be any replays, though. Jamie had tears in her eyes. I can't believe they fired us. All we were doing is covering the truth. So much for journalistic integrity. Why did I even go to journalism school where they teach you about balanced reporting when the only thing you need to know to get by in this business is follow the money and do what you're told? Jenna put her hand on Jamie's arm. I'm sorry, she said. I'm sorry that this has cost you such a high price. You shouldn't have to lose your job for this. Don't be, Jamie said fiercely. CBC is supposed to be neutral. It's supposed to be a trusted news association, funded by the people and for the people, not some shill for the corporate narrative. Fuck those guys. And the horse they rode in on, Morty added. I agree with Jamie. I've been seeing the signs on the wall for a long time with that network. There's no balanced reporting anymore. It's all just corporate bullshit propaganda. Management there is always whoring themselves out for the corporate teat. I don't want no part of that. Jay spoke up. I was in the van with Morty before setting up the IT. Things were rosy then before you made your speech. The newsroom was cooperating. They were eager for the footage Morty was sending them. Hell, to me, it looked like they were clamoring for it. That was just a few minutes before the, he got the text that said he was fired. Funny how everything was roses when we held on to the guns. Hey, Mort? I'm guessing it was the part about the injections that got you shut down, Jenna, because it happened right after that. Jay looked around at them. So what happens now that we've been deplatformed from every angle? I'm guessing we go get supplies? If that's the plan, I've got a gym bag in my office already. If this day had turned out normal, I was going camping later, he 
He laughed. How's that for irony, hey? Maybe I'll stay here and walk over to the food land in a minute and buy some cans of food. Jenna looked at Jay. If they're still selling, great. If not, or if the power's still off over there, just take them. Leave a note, charge it to the municipality. Just take them. Okay, I have a gym bag in my locker too. Grab some extra blankets. You guys go get supplies. I'll stay here and watch to see if any response comes through from the Prime Minister. She looked at each of them in turn, mentally sorting out which ones were staying and which were leaving to go and stock up on survival goods. More like mentally establishing who will be here with me if the fox shows up. She bit her lip. Morty turned to Jamie. We've got extra room in the Winnebago if you'd like to join us. My wife Paula packed it up real good before she left. Jamie looked at Ricky. That's a real kind offer, Morty, but I believe I'll stay with Ricky. Got room for both of you if you want it, a quiet female voice spoke up. It was Morty's wife. Hi, she said. I'm Paula. It's nice to meet you. She smiled at Jamie, and Jamie smiled back. Jamie turned to Ricky. What do you think? I think I'm sticking by you, whatever you decide. If you want to go with these guys, and if there's room for me to tag along, that's good enough for me. I'd appreciate it. Okay, Jamie said to Paula. Thank you. I think we'll join you. Great. That's subtle. Jenna's eyes fell on Wanda. Wanda, are you staying here with me? Are you leaving? I'm going with Lodi. Chester's fishing boat is on a trailer out behind my barn. It's big enough for all of us. I'm going along with Lodi to show him what we'll need for it. All right, so we'll all meet back here as soon as possible. Jenna looked out at the lengthening shadows gathering in the parking lot. It's going to be dark soon, and I'd like to have you back before that happens. Vic spoke up. Remember, the overpass is out on Hickory. Collapsed into the sinkhole. Go around. Right, said Bodai. He held Jenna's gaze a moment, his expression softening into a smile, and then he was out the door. They began to disperse. Jay Marksman tapped Vic on the shoulder, holding out his car keys. Take my Passat. It's parked out front. You came on foot, remember? Vic slapped his forehead. Shit, thanks, Jay. I owe you a beer. Jay nodded. Wouldn't turn one down at that if you happen to cross some while you're out there. Okay, guys, that is it for today's recording. Up next is Chapter 20, Showdown. Wherever you are, I hope you're keeping good spirits and making sure that we stay kind and calm, help each other, stay free. God bless.